How's our newlyweds doing? Wonderful. <laughs> Lynn, she was quite a bit more exuberant than you were, so pick it up, partner. Pick it up. All right. It's good to have you back. How about that, huh? Let's take our Bibles this afternoon, and uh, we'd like to turn to Romans chapter 6. We've been kind of bouncing around in Romans, talking about God's grace, and it's interesting that we find ourselves uh, today. I'll, I'll read the passage, and then... Um, We're going to attack it just a little bit differently today, but Romans chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. Actually, what we should do is uh, let's go back to verse 20 of chapter 5. It'll bring our context for us. Uh, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 20, and we'll read through chapter 6 and verse 14. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin hath, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word this afternoon. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, again, we thank you for this day that we can be gathered together in this place and enjoying the Word of God, enjoying each other in fellowship with one another. And Father, we would ask that these moments now that we have with us around ourselves, Father, and with you in the midst, we would ask that it would be a time of, of blessing and refreshment. And Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher today. We thank you for your Word, and we thank you for the love of Jesus Christ, and we thank you. For those that are able to be here today, we ask that you'd bless them and their families. Father, we also ask that you be with those that intended to be here but were not able to. That you, would, you know their needs, you know their situations. We ask that you'd hold them very close to yourself, giving them peace and joy that can only come from you. But now, Father, these moments, we ask that we would see you relationally as we've never seen you before at a higher level of intimacy. And now again, we ask for the Spirit to lead, guide, and direct us. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, it's interesting, uh, we've, we've actually been planning a baptism for, for some period of time, and uh, I was 
Um, just kind of torn a little bit this week. I, I wouldn't say the whole week, but part of the week. Just, you know, what do we need to go? What do we need to talk about? And in, order to, in, in Romans chapter 5 last week, versus, well, actually a couple of weeks we were, we were buried there. Um, and lo and behold, you get into chapter 6, and the word that's probably used the most in the first several verses is... Okay, let's try this again. <laughs> Baptism. It's very interesting, isn't it? It's right there in front of us. So, so I thought what we do today is maybe just take a look at kind of an overarching view of what baptism is. Maybe it's history, where it's come from, um, what's, it, what's at stake, really the overwhelming thing. And it really ties in beautifully with chapter 6 and what Paul is trying to describe for us. Now, the question that he asks, in other words, set up back in chapter 5, and those of you that have enjoyed grace, in other words, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been saved from the power of sin. And he broke it when he died on Calvary's tree. When he said it is finished, he had paid it. And we know it was good enough because God raised him from the dead. Uh, praise God. Amen. And we think about the fact that if grace is that cool and that great and that awesome, which it is, well then, where sin is abounding and grace abounds more, then maybe we should sin more so there's more grace. And Paul almost heads him off of the pass. Have you ever been headed off of the pass? <laughs> well, Paul does a really good job. He anticipated the question. And he's going to deal with that. And while we do that, though, we're going to also just kind of reach outside out of bounds for just a second and talk about baptism. Now, when we see the word baptism, almost, almost, I would think, stop me if I'm wrong, when you see baptism or you hear the word, what comes to your mind? Water, right? H2O. It's, it's got to, you see baptism, it's water, right? Okay. Now, actually, in chapter 6 of Roman, it's a dry baptism. No water included here. In fact, the water baptism, of which we're going to be engaged in this afternoon, is very much revolving around H2O. But baptism in and of itself, let's talk about it for a second. If, if, what do you think baptism is? Now, again, we're talking about just the word right now, just the word that you find in Scripture, especially, particularly in the New Testament. If you see or hear the word baptism, what, what comes to your mind? What, what do you think it reveals or talks of? A picture of what Christ did. Very much so in the sense of... Yes, yeah, absolutely. Ceremonial. Excuse me? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. Yeah, it's, it is a special event. It very much is. Absolutely. There is a sense of identification. Very much so. In fact, that's part of the, the, the event today is the sense of making a public profession uh, for others of what they've done. Yes. In fact, in fact, that's interesting that uh, Jan Lee has taken us to that point. The, the baptism of John, uh, we find that we're going to maybe spend a little bit of time there in Matthew chapter 3. Um, but the interesting part is there, the, what he was revolving around is a little bit different than what we're doing today. But if I was going to ask you, where did baptism start? Most of you would probably say John the Baptist, right? Yeah, I see all the heads nodding, right? Okay, excuse me. That, that's where most of us would be. But it's interesting that history goes way back way back. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, don't, don't let me forget that, but we want to go back into the Old Testament and talk about the way to actually become a proselyte. As it, you know, if you were a chosen people, you know what, I, I'm starting down that trail. I can't right now. I've got to come back to what I asked you originally. And that is, if we were just going to have the Greek word, it would be bapto, or baptizo. Baptizo. And it means this. It just means very simply, to immerse. To immerse. And it's a beautiful word because it really symbolizes what's going to happen today, to immerse. 
And John the Baptist, actually, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. I think that would be a good place for us. John, I'm sorry, what did I say? John the Baptist, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And we talk about being to dip into or to immerse. One of the words you'll find in the, in, in the use back there in the New Testament was written was in the sense of when you were dyeing cloth, D-Y-E, not D-I-E, but dyeing cloth, in, in, you know, like a purple dye, that cloth would have to be baptizote. It would have to be dipped completely, immersed to be completely filled with dye. Right? Makes good sense, doesn't it? Because you wouldn't want to be just sprinkled or just to be halfway in and, oh, that's a really crummy job. No, you need to immerse it. You need to have it completely submerged. That's the word that would be used, is bapto in the sense of that. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, and let's look at verse 6. Actually, maybe we'll just start in verse 1. Let me get back there. I was talking while you guys were looking. It happens once in a while. Matthew chapter, chapter 3. I'll be there in just a second. You know, Lisa got me a... I told you I kind of whined a little bit about my Bible was falling apart. Well, guess what? Lisa bought me a new Bible. And uh, it doesn't have all the stuff in there that I know where I'm going. So I've got I've to re, redo it, right? So it's all just so fresh, I can't get where I'm wanting to go. But at any rate, that was pretty sweet. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, and in verse 1, we find this unfolding of John the Baptist. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying... Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Ruby River. Oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that, does it? (laughs) You guys were following along. That's good. That's good. Baptized him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, that's the way to make friends, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth first... I'm sorry, bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or adequate for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to raise these stones as children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now watch verse 11. I indeed baptize you. Or what I'm wanting you to do today, when you see the word baptize, I want you to just insert the word immerse. Okay? Okay, let's, let's, just, let's just try that as we go. I indeed immerse you with water unto repentance. Now, see, what was, his, what was his baptism of? It was for repentance. He was literally trying to get the people, particularly of Israel, the Jews, to see their need for a Savior. They were, prepared, they were literally saying, you have to prepare your hearts for the one coming. I'm just the forerunner. That, he was called that, John the Baptist, the forerunner. So this is literally a baptism for repentance. Now, again, I'm going I'm to interject here for a moment. Historically, this is the place that most people would say that this is where they unfolded or see baptism as being a beginning place. However, as you study into the Old Testament, that's not necessarily the case. Let's say that you were a... You were a um, I'm going to set up a, a situation. Um, the Israelites, after Abraham, remember Abram, God came to him in chapter 12 of Genesis, and he said, Abram, I want you to get out of this place, and I'm going to take you to land that will show you. No maps. 
no destination charts, no unfolding of what your life's going to be like. You just follow me as long as it takes. Okay. How do you guys do with that? That's called faith, isn't it? That's really chapter 11 of Hebrews is really talking about faith. Some of you have been on that kind of a faith journey. You have no, you have no idea of where you're going. You're just trusting God every minute of every day. That is faith. You're trusting God for where you're going to go. And that was where it started. And Abraham was that one that God chose to set apart for himself as a special people. They were going to be a chosen people. It's described that way. Well, if you were on the outside looking in, guess what? You would have watched as those Israelites left Egypt after 400 years of captivity there. I'm using that a little bit loosely because when they got there, God saved them through divine intervention by sending Jacob's son Joseph through not very nice relationships with his family. And he ends up being, quote, the prime minister's right-hand man. And literally, famine is displaced and the people are saved. But after that, guess what? The Pharaoh passed away. We've got a new man on the pole. They forget about the Israelites and how good Joseph was, and things just start spiraling out of control. In fact, they become slaves. Now, on the exit, I'm not, you say, are you going to go through the whole Bible like this? No, but we'll just pick and choose as we go. But the ten plagues take place. Guess what? The Egyptians can't get rid of the Israelites fast enough. They come to the wall. It's called the sea. It's called the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. Poof. It opens up. Now, when's the last time you saw a large body of water just split, a wind blows, it dries it enough, and you just walk through? And then after you're through, and here comes the enemy, it goes whoosh. When's the last time you saw that? If anybody did, let's talk afterward. You've got some problems, right? But it's in the Bible, and it's real, and it's absolutely true because, you know what? I'm thinking of Rahab right now. Rahab would have been in the, in the city of Jericho. And the Israelites, you know, they made some mistakes. They obviously got through the Red Sea. God rains down manna. He rains their food for them. He leads them by a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. Wherever the fire is at, you just stay there. If the cloud moves, you move. It's real simple. Okay? Isn't that cool? And they still didn't get it. Oh, I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know if I can trust God. He's, he's not really looking out for us. Right? You can hear it. But oh, we've never said that, have we? Never. <laughs> never. But now, look, let's go back. Slip into Rahab's shoes. She's in, she's in Jericho. This is enemy territory. In fact, here come, the, here come the Israelites. Through the, the leading of Joshua, Moses went around for 40 years rolling on the mountain, right? Oh, these guys are so stupid. They won't listen to God, and I'm paying the price. Well, God takes Moses. Joshua's on, he's, he's on deck. They go across the Jordan, and they're going to go in to this new land. And one of the first places they go is to Jericho. Now, here's Rahab. And she literally, there is something that's taken place. She knows about the Jews. In fact, she knows that there's their God, their God, part of the Red Sea. Their God rained down manna. Their God has taken care of them in a magnificent way. In fact, if you want to do wardrobe control, for 40 years, they never had to buy a pair of shoes. It lasted. Now, ladies, I know that sounds depressing because you've got to have shoes in your closet. Right, men? Oh, I'm getting in trouble. No, no, don't, don't nod, men. Stop. Don't go there. Leave it go. Leave it go. 
I've got a couple of daughters that have more shoes than they should have. And neither one of them are here to defend themselves, so I'm good with that. Right? Okay. But the point of the matter is, you know, God just looked out for these people. At every step of the way, he took care of his people. Even when they thought he wasn't. Remember, they were out of water. No water. Moses takes care of business. We got water. Now, Rahab is on the outside. This is not her people. She looks on the outside looking in and says, man, you got it. That is the place. In fact, the spies came in to check out Jericho, and she hid them. She stepped out. She stepped out to take care of them. And they said, you put down that scarlet rope, and we'll take care of you. And they did. But that kind of person is what I'm talking about. If they wanted to be a proselyte, to become one of God's chosen people, there were steps where they had to go through to become part of this chosen people. One of those rights, which actually was laid out for Abram, was this, the right of circumcision. That was a step that had to be... There was three steps. One of them was circumcision. And the, the second one, which is very interesting, it's tebala, T-E-B-A-L-A-W. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing it properly, but it's T-E-B-A-L-A-W. And that was the sense, are you ready? For immersion or baptism in water for the new convert. And the purpose of this was, was to leave, if you were a Gentile, you're outside of, the, you know, outside of Jewry, outside of the people, that you were baptized, immersed to wash away your old life, to leave it behind. And then the last step was Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N. And that was literally to sacrifice an animal. The blood would be sprinkled on to show that you needed forgiveness of sin, which would lead ultimately to the coming Messiah. All three of those. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, keep that in mind because that plays us perfectly. It's taken me a long time to develop. It plays us perfectly into the line of where John the Baptist would have come on the board saying, you guys, and he's speaking where? He's in Israel. He's downtown Israel. And he says, you guys need to repent and get ready for the coming Messiah. Now, wait a minute. They use baptism to get the Gentile ready to come into Jewry. And he says, no, you've got a heart problem. You need to get ready for the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And for for John to take that approach, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And that's why the Pharisees and Sadducees, they weren't very happy with him. And he said, why don't you bring fruits of repentance? Remember, he, he talked pretty... Now, if you make friends by saying, you bunch of snakes and vipers, that won't work out for you if you want friends. But he was telling the truth, wasn't he? They came with false pretenses. But do you see how this fits in beautifully? Actually, that whole history of baptism leads us to John, who is, is saying this, you need to get ready through repentance for what's coming right around the corner, of which I'm a forerunner. Now, watch it develop. It even goes on quickly. You say, quickly? That took a long time. That's okay, though. Look at this. Verse 11 again of chapter 3 of Matthew. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize, immerse you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose hand is in his, I'm sorry, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his weed into the garner. He will burn up the chaff on the unquenchable fire. Now, he's talking about a couple of different things. Right now, I want you to just hold your thoughts to the baptism of repentance that he's speaking of. Okay, keep going. Then, watch this. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Oh, my goodness. Here's John. He's talking about this one that's coming. He's the forerunner. He said, you guys need to get... In the spirit of repentance, you need to be baptized in the spirit of that. And here comes walking right to the Jordan was none other than Jesus. 
Oh, my goodness. Would, would John recognize him? That's the question, isn't it? And by the way, what's John going to do with Jesus? Now, did you see it? It was very, very clear intentions. Jesus was coming to John to be baptized. Now, isn't this, did we not just say this is a baptism of repentance? Why would Jesus come to be baptized in the spirit of repentance? You're getting ahead of me. Thank you. Hold, hold that comment for just a second. I want another, think, 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 right? And by the way, John must have felt very inadequate. Whoa, this is Jesus. He just said, he's, he's, he's way cooler than I am. Well, he didn't say it that way, but you know what I'm saying in, the, in that vernacular. But here you go. Let's keep, let's keep moving. John forbade him, verse 14, saying, I have need to be baptized to be immersed of you. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffered or allowed to be so now, for thus it becometh to us to fulfill all of righteousness. Then he allowed him. Now in the NLT, I really like that verse how it said, so just hang with me. I'm going to read uh, chapter 3. I'm in chapter 6. John tried to talk him out of it, verse 14. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Watch, listen now. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now, sometimes, if you noticed, this was Jesus literally following the commands of his father. And you know, if you notice sometimes when you choose to obey, even though there's not, doesn't seem like significant things about that, the end results often are things that you've never seen unless you would have followed the command. Watch what happens now. You talk about an accreditation or a stamp of approval. Look now with me quickly to verse 16 of chapter 3 of Matthew. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Now, again, you see this. It is the fact that he went into the river to be immersed. That word baptism, baptizo. Okay? It's right there. He came out of the river, out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now think of that. Think of what those people that were gathered there and John even saying, That is so awesome. Right? Wow, that's significant. That's really significant. Huge deal. Huge deal. Let's go to, uh, let's see, where was I at? Verse 23. Wrote down the wrong chapter. How about that? Never happened before. Let's go to Mark chapter 1 for a moment. Mark chapter 1 and verse 5. Mark chapter 1 and verse 5. You see, from another angle, again, going into the river, the sense of immersion Verse 4 of chapter 1 of Mark says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He had a significant, a significant issue. Now, interestingly enough, if we follow along this line for a moment, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Now that you have maybe a little bit different light of baptism... Because now you're looking not only just from water, but you're seeing the fact that there are deeper levels. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Now this is said of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Well, I'm going to start in verse 12. 12, 12. Here we go. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. 
For by one Spirit are we all baptized or immersed into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, interesting enough, when you come to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's work is to baptize you into Jesus Christ. Now we're actually, we're, we're not going to do it right now, but back to Romans chapter 6, it's really interesting. The terminology that is used is when you are saved, you are baptizoed into Jesus himself. And we'll even go further than that. Okay? That literally gives us, now you start to see the symbolism start to unfold in the sense of submission to Christ. We talked a little bit already about its history. Um, I'd like to take you to John chapter 1, verse 29. Again, looking at the significance of John seeing Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 29. We'll we'll follow it context with verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, that's a very strong statement. If you think about what had taken place, let's, take, let's chase the Israelites back into the Old Testament. The last plague, that tenth plague, literally was the death of the firstborn. And the, how to get out of that, the Israelites were, were, were told to take a lamb, as good as a perfect lamb could be. I don't know if there's a perfect sheep. I really don't think there is. And Lois isn't there to defend herself. But as good as close as you could get to a perfect lamb, it would be slain. You would take the blood and you would put it on the doorpost. And the angel of death would pass over that night, pass over that house. That is exactly the picture that John would have been using, calling Jesus Christ the Passover lamb that taketh away the sins of the whole world. That is a huge statement. That would be the Messiah they were looking for. That would be the one that literally would save them from everything that they could not handle themselves. But now I want to point something out. Uh, Hebrews, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. The other thing I was promising myself is we would make the message short today so we could get out to the baptism in a timely manner. But I'm, I'm, I'm doing well so far, just to make sure you're not on the wrong side of that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 15. Listen to this now. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, and they're speaking of Jesus, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. This Jesus was sinless. He was without sin. Now, watch this. This is the Jesus we're talking about. And this is exciting. You're, you don't look excited yet, but I'm going to get you there. Let's, let's get excited now. But here's, here's Jesus, the one that did no sin. He's been baptized by John. And he starts to lead this ministry which takes place for three years. And people are really catching on to what he's up to. Okay? Now, watch how he describes a coming event that he himself is speaking of in his own words, watch what he says. Again, did Jesus sin? No. If you're in question, just ask his family members, James and other brothers and sisters, and Mary especially. Jesus is my boy. He doesn't ever sin. James saw it afterwards, and after he resurrected from the dead, he wrote the book of James. He saw Jesus for who he really was. But let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 
and verse 50. Now, this is a long uh, dissertation that he's given in Luke chapter 12. He had a lot of, in fact, verse, as you're turning to verse 50, I'm just going to read verse 1 of chapter 12. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch they trod one upon another, and he began to say unto the disciple, first of all, beware you of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he has this long dissertation. He's got a whole pile of people around him. And watch what he says. And he starts to wind this thing down in verse 50. He just comes out and says, well, verse 49, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? But, but, in other words, there's judgment coming, but, verse 50, I have a, a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? In other words, he is in a great deal of suffering. Some of your versions may have it that way. This Jesus is looking to the day not too far in the future where he literally be immersed immersed, baptized into the death, the crucifixion of the cross for us. Do you see what he called it? He was immersed or baptizoed into the very thing of which he was not guilty of. This is unbelievable language that's being used. It's unreal. Jesus even using that, to be immersed into death. Now, let's go back to Romans. I think that set us up rather well. Now, let's watch. Romans chapter 6, and Paul asks the question in verse 2, after he asked the initial question, well, should we just keep sinning so grace can abound? No, God forbid. Now watch the next question in verse 2, Romans chapter 6. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What he's doing now is he's saying it's a total different change of mindset. Before Jesus Christ, before you were saved, you thought, differently. But now that you've been, I'm going to say, saved by grace, you think differently. You appropriate things differently. And he's saying, if you're dead to sin, then how could you live in it? Now watch how he, how he spreads this out. Verse 3. We'll start watching the words now. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ, were immersed into his death. You were totally immersed into his death. When you got saved, it was, you would literally were placed into Jesus' death. Now, it wasn't Jesus' death, and this is really hard. Just stay with it. It's a little bit circular. But it wasn't Jesus' death. It was your death that he took for you. How did that do? Did I get it? I see a few heads nodding. I hear a little marbles rubbling in the others, but we're, we're okay. Let's keep moving. But isn't that true? Jesus didn't die for himself. The baptism, the immersion of death that he suffered was not his. It was ours. Literally, he was baptizoed for us. So we are baptizoed through his death that literally breaks the chains of sin. Isn't that perfect? That's beautiful. So powerful. So powerful. I hope I'm going to do a good enough job uh, bringing it to you because it's just really rich. Now, again, this is not a wet baptism. This is a dry baptism. This is truly the figure that Paul wants to get. But he goes on. He's not finished. Not only were you baptized or immersed into his death, look at verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Not only were you baptized into death, but also in his burial. You were essentially in the grave with him. And it gets better. How are you doing so far? You're depressed. 
I don't want to be baptized, fully immersed into the death and a burial. You're right. Hang on. Hang tough because God had it all worked out. So far, if we just stopped right here and I said, you know, that's all I'm going to tell you this week. You've got to come back next week and we'll talk. That would be so bad, wouldn't it? But the good thing is I'm not going to do that. We're going to keep going because God's got good news ahead. In fact, look at verse 4 once again. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Now, stop for a moment. That is so amazingly powerful. When Jesus finished his work, where he was baptized into death, our death, so that we could literally die with him, but he imputed righteousness to our account. Don't you like that? Do you ever have, you have, you have friends or relatives that can put money into your account? No. I had one, no, and there's a few of them. Well, that'd be great. Everybody said that would be great. You just came up. No, you just don't have it. But if you did, literally that, that person would impute or put money into your account. When Jesus Christ took your death, he was baptized into your death, then we were baptized into his death. He imputed or put a not guilty. I was going to say sticker. It didn't sound good, did it? You got a sticker in your... No, this is the final deal. It's not guilty. Stamped in your account, imputed his righteousness for your guilt. That is powerful. You're getting a little more excited, I can tell. The Bible is so rich with truth. So rich. And I totally lost my train of thought right now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Here, come back. Sorry. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ finishes his work. He's dead. And just before he's dead, oh, think of this. Think of the weight for just a second. Now, just almost close your eyes and think of this. From he was hanging on a cross. He was crucified at 9 in the morning. And at noon, it became dark. Until 3 o'clock. For three hours, God the Father turned his back on his son because he was bearing our sin. That is almost unimaginable. To think of God the Son and God the Father who are one person, three personalities, including the Holy Spirit, to be separate because we, through our sin, separated them. Ay, ay, ay. But when Jesus Christ hung on that cross and at 3 o'clock, it's told that he said the last three words, and you know I say it all the time because I love it. He said, it is finished. And from his perspective, everything had been accomplished. He had done everything he had set out to do. I'm going to tell you, now that was a big order of business. Let's think, how about how you guys had to be Jesus? Uh, okay, this is the deal. This is the deal. You're going to be born in Bethlehem. You're going to be in a nursery. You're going to have Mary and Joseph. He's not going to be your real dad, but Mary's going to be your mother. Um, and then you're going to have a family of which going to be, you're going to be the oldest. And you're going to have to sort of take care of them. And there's going, to be a, there's going to be some years I can't even talk about. But when you get to be 30, guess what? You're going to go down to the river. You're going to get baptized by John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. And then for three years, you're going to live. I mean, you are going to talk about stuff that's just going to tear the world apart. And by the way, you are never going to sin. Ever. Oh, that's easy. No problem. Wrong-o. And then, guess what? Knowing in advance, you're going to be crucified for someone else's sin. And then you're going to be buried. And here's the catch. I want you to keep this in mind. Yes, yes. We, he knew that he was in God's hands totally, fully, because when he had died and was buried, the fact that it was proven, the fact that it was proven that that was adequate to get her done 
was when the glory of God spoke to us right there in verse 4. The glory of God raised him up. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, it would not have been an adequate sacrifice. And if he was still in the grave today, if somebody could bring Jesus' bones and say, there he is, I would step out of this place right now. I wouldn't ever come. I have nothing. I have no hope. Because he couldn't whip it. He couldn't get her done. But the glory of God literally raised him up. He appeared over 500 people at one time. Those disciples lived a life of martyrdom. They punched out as being killed at the sake of their Savior, Jesus. That's real stuff. Isn't that powerful? Ay, ay, ay. Man, it just pumps me up. So the good news is, is not only are you immersed or baptizoed into Jesus' death, his burial, but you're also baptized into his life. And that's the perfect picture we're going to do this afternoon with Kurt and with Betty Jean. Is when they're going to go down into the water reverse, they're doing down into the, burial, the death and burial of Jesus Christ and raised up in his new life. That is the perfect symbolism of what Jesus accomplished for us in our salvation. Now, let me be careful to say, baptism does not regenerate you. In other words, it is not what saves you. I want to be very careful. The Bible says that nowhere. Baptism is a result of what has happened to you because of Jesus. It's a command. It's something that he has commanded us to do if you've been, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Doesn't put you in heaven. Think of the thief on the cross. Remember that guy? Man, there was one of them got it right and one of them got it wrong. Here's Jesus hanging in the middle, right? Got two, these two, they were truly, they should have been there. They deserved to be there. Just like any one of us. The wages of sin is death. We should have been there. We should have been hanging there. And the one says, yeah, if you're really the son of God, why don't you get down and bring us with you? That wasn't quite that way, but it's perfect. You, you get it, right? That was the deal. In fact, let's see if you're really who you say you are, buddy. And take me with you. I'm right here with you. The other one says, what are you talking about, man? This is the son of God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded by saying, if you could have only been baptized, if you could have only been baptized. And of course, he put a request into the Roman soldier saying, you know what? I just found out that if I could be baptized, by, if I could be baptized then I could go to Jesus' kingdom. So could you let me off the cross for just a little bit? I don't think so. I actually had somebody tell me, somebody that believed in, in baptismal regeneration, that is that literally that's what saves you is baptism in and of itself. He said, well, how do you know he didn't get off the cross? I said, you have a lot of faith to think the Romans would allow that guy to be unnailed, go get baptized, and then get renailed. That did not happen. Right? But, but the point of the matter is, think of that. How was that man? How did he go to paradise? By God's grace. That was accomplished through Jesus Christ who hung on that cross and paid for not only his sin, but everyone else's. In this room and beyond, in the whole entire world, there's not a sin he didn't pay for. I'm telling you, that is crazy. And that, my friends, is literally what baptism means. Is that not cool? That is cool. That is cool. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for what you're going to do even now in these moments before us. But especially thank you for what was accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. As he was baptized into a death that was not deserving for himself. The suffering that he chose to endure. Even in Hebrews chapter 12 it says he endured it with joy. 
because it accomplished your purposes. Father, we, we, we don't even have words to thank you enough for what took place. But as you've unfolded even today, pull back the lens of the curtains just a little bit further to see the intimacy of what you've given for us and to us. It truly is nothing short of amazing. Father, I ask that you would just speak with individual hearts today that maybe today's the day to just come clean. God, I can't handle this sin problem. It's dominating me. It's fully in charge and control. Well, the good news is, is that all you need to do is repent of that sin. Father, I repent of the sin. I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior today, this very moment. And literally, you become baptizoed into Jesus Christ. You become part of him. And you are saved. That very essence of what baptism is, de- is depicting symbolically, that we go down into the death and burial of Jesus Christ and come up in a new life, a risen, resurrected life that proved Jesus' accomplished sacrifice was perfect and complete, of which we claim our trust and faith in that makes us justified. For God to be able to declare us not guilty, how perfect is that? Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the opportunity we'll have now in just a few moments to baptize these two believers that have placed their faith and trust in you. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen.